This is the Green Student Ministries High School Podcast of the Chapel in Green. We are committed to our students being known, knowing Jesus, and becoming kingdom workers. We hope this podcast serves to encourage, challenge, and to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. This is Green Student Ministries. Is anyone else a big fan of rom-coms here? No, not a lot of rom-com fans. Oh, Chloe is. But that's all right. I mean, I think the thing about rom-coms sometimes when I watch them, like, they're so cheesy and, like, very predictable a lot of times. Most of the time you can call the ending right at the very beginning. Uh, Rom-coms always have these certain tropes that they do over and over and over again. And, like, most every single rom-com you watch, it's almost like the same sort of thing happens, especially, no shade, but Hallmark movies, like, I couldn't even tell you anything different about anything in a Hallmark movie. I know I might be offending some of you people, but it's the same thing that happens over and over again. And one of the things that happened over and over again, there's always this, like, chase scene where the guy finally realizes he loves her, finally and he's running after her and there's always an airport always an airport and it's raining and it's so the climax and it's so many things and there's so many there's the meet cutes always like someone's getting coffee she's a businesswoman she's getting her coffee this guy bumps into her oh no the coffee falls they will fall in love at the end of the movie like every time these rom-coms they do the same thing over and over again and usually in these rom-coms There's always a problem, and the problem most of the time is miscommunication. Every single time I'll watch these movies, and I'm like, if you just were clear about what you just said, all of these problems would magically go away. Always, always, without fail, there's always this like big moment where the girl's mad at the guy or the guy's mad at the girl because they just didn't communicate well. There's always these things that they just jump to conclusions based on one person said something, so now they're jumping off the edge, and so now they're in this big fight, but then always they make up in the end and it's a beautiful ending they always rain clapping credits roll it's pretty comfortable but when I was thinking about today's message I thought about this aspect of miscommunications which we see a lot of times in rom-coms it's these things of hearing something and jumping to conclusions it's hearing one thing and taking off with it just running with it And this morning, we're going to kind of look at a passage, uh, Titus 2, that I think we sometimes do this with. We'll read this passage together, and sometimes when we read it, we take some aspects of what it's saying and just run with it. There's things that happen that we're like, man, this little, pa- this little passage, I'm just going to take off and running. And you're not looking at the context. You're not looking at the purpose of why it was written. And I want us to be careful And there's kind of this warning that all of us are in this together in this morning. So there's this passage in Titus 2 that might be something that, like, might anger some of you. That might stir something up. That you'll hear something and you're like, I don't like that at all. I'm going to take off and run with it. This, because this says this, this is what it means. Without even looking at the context or the purpose of it. And it's very, very dangerous. And not that you can't critique scripture or teachers. I think Adam talked about that last week. Be careful with what you hear and what you read. And this morning, I want us to be careful with what we read and what we hear this morning. So if you have your Bibles, it will also be um, on the screen. We're jumping into Titus 2. 
So I'm going to read a little portion of it. So bear with me, a little chunk of scripture, and then we're going to kind of piece it apart and look at it and see what this passage's purpose is, why it's being written. Starting in verse 1. You, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in every way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can, ur- then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands, so that no one mal- will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In everything, set them as an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and sound of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. So we're going to pause here for a moment. I think a lot of times, including me, Whenever I come across a passage in scripture where it addresses a certain group of people, especially genders, okay? I don't know if any of you other ladies in this feel this way, but when you read these passages, there's like this knee-jerk reaction. You're like, oh, I don't want to talk about this. This makes me uncomfortable. This makes me nervous. I don't know what this is saying. The world is telling me that the Bible, that Jesus doesn't support women. And this passage shows that right now. And I want us to take a moment to pause, let's look at the purpose of this passage, because I was right there with you. There was times in my life when I would come across any time in a lot of Paul's letters where it would address women, and I would become so furious. I would become so, so angry at what it would say to women. I would become angry because it would would tell women to wives to submit. And that would be very uncomfortable for me. Because that scared me a little bit. Because in my mind, I had this picture of what submission meant. And ladies, this is not submission. This is like wives submitting. This is not you submitting. These are wives submitting to their husbands. And we'll get into that later. But there was these moments where I would get so furious at these passages. I would tally up every time it addressed a man in comparison to a woman. I wouldn't look at all of what this was saying, the purpose of the passage. I would just be so enraged by this, that someone was telling me what to do. And I would become so furious. And I don't know if any of you have ever felt like that, where you just became so angry that someone was telling you what to do, that someone was pointing to you and telling you what to do. And it would make me so angry. But in those moments, in lots of conversations with God, I was able to rectify that situation, to change my heart, to really look and to dig in to what scripture is saying to men and to women. And I can tell you that Jesus is for you. Jesus is for you ladies. Jesus is for you guys. So this, I believe, is not demeaning to women or men. And I'll tell you why. So this purpose, so again, we're wanting to go to the purpose of this passage. And a lot of times when we read this passage, even if it's like other times in scriptures, other letters, when Paul is addressing specific genders, 
we look at it and we're like, this is a gender role. This passage is defining gender roles. And we look at it as like, this is what it means to be a man or a woman. And I want us to pause. And I'm going to tell you that the purpose of this passage is not to define gender roles. Okay? It is addressing specific issues and problems present in the church in Crete. So these problems, specifically some of the women were acting a certain way, some of the men were acting a certain way, and Paul is specifically addressing these groups of people. He's specifically addressing these groups of people. He's not segregating them, he's specifically talking to them because they would have known the situation that they were facing. They would have understood what he meant because they were acting against this. So Paul is looking towards specific people, a specific group of people, and addressing what is present in their culture. And I like to think of this as almost as an example of if your sibling, like your brother or your sister, uh, snuck out of the house, okay? So they snuck out. You saw them sneak out. You don't sneak out because you're sleeping in bed. You're staying home. They come back. Parents find out, and they're getting punished, okay? So their parents are, like, they're arguing. They're getting in a fight. Maybe they're uh, giving you, like, they're grounding your sibling or whatever. And you're kind of watching this happen. Like, you're just, like, watching the other person get in trouble. And I want us to think of this similarly to this. We're learning from other people's mistakes. We're watching someone get called out, and we're going, okay, I can learn from that. I can avoid that, too. So I want us to think of that this way, to avoid these things that these people were obviously doing, that he's speaking to them to act a certain way while they were doing the opposite. Paul chooses very carefully how he addresses certain issues and certain people. He wanted every single person of the church to feel represented in this. And he's addressing specific issues that they were dealing with. And I'm not saying you're going to ignore the things that Paul is saying. These are every single thing that Paul tells the older men, the older women, the younger women, the younger men, are all very good things to listen to. Each one of these things is something that we should all take note of, of how to act. It's not saying that only women are addicted to much wine. It's not saying that. At the time, there was this stereotype of older women who were constantly drunk and gossiping. So Paul calls that out, to not be like that. He knows the culture. He knows the stereotypes around it. So he calls out the women not to do that. And it's not saying that men should not do that. They should also not do that. But he's addressing specific people. Younger women also, at the time, when it talks about being busy at home, to be kind, to be pure. At the time, the younger women, they were stereotyped of never really getting married and just being very promiscuous. So he addresses that. That was the norm in the culture. So he addresses that to that issue. Again, it's not saying that only women should be pure. Men and women should be pure. He's addressing these specific issues. A lot of times I think, even with me, I've read this before and I've gotten very upset over it because I was being told what to do. 
But Paul is telling these great ideas, these great specific examples, pointing toward these people of how they should be acting and how their conduct should be around them. He's addressing these people in the church and how they should respond to the issues of their culture and how to be different. All of these examples, all of these examples are so good for each of us to take hold of. All of us should be worthy of respect, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love and endurance. To not be slanderous, to not be addicted to wine, to be self-controlled, to be busy at home, to be pure, to be kind, to encourage, to be self-controlled. All these things, we should all be doing those things. So he's addressing these specific issues to these people. Not because it's only a girl issue or a guy issue. He's addressing just specific people. And all of these are great examples of how to live and how to go about our life and our culture and our world. So I want us to take note of that. Because he's speaking to how we should live in every walk of life. How we should live in an upright way. One of the side note things I love when it talks about, it talks about um, the older women teaching the younger women. And I think sometimes we can like blow past that little issue, that little snippet, but that was a great thing for women at the time. Because most of the time they were illiterate. So what Paul is saying, he's empowering and encouraging these women to teach other women, to be empowered to teach them, to show them how to live, to be a model to do what is right and teach others. That's a great example of how we should be doing that. And he talks specifically to older women, to younger women. And this is great because this also gives a great example of how we should be doing this. So in our small groups, we kind of implement this a little bit. Guys, you have guy leaders. Girls, you have girl leaders. There's something really special when you can go to a mentor or a discipler or someone, a teacher that you trust that's the same gender as you. You can go to the other person. I talk to Adam. He's one of the people that I go to a lot. And that's great, and he offers me such wisdom. But there's something special that happens. There's a deeper connection. When I go to Becky Westfall, my mentor, there's something different there, and I think this is highlighting how important it is to have people of the same gender pouring into us. There's something that's so good about that. So this isn't saying that only women do this. Men, you should be doing this too. Guys, you have these great small group leaders that are pouring into you. There's, so, there's a great connection that you guys have with your, with your male leaders. There's something different. They get you a little bit. There's something that happens when you're talking to someone of the same gender. There's just a common, a common thing where you're able to connect a little bit deeper. They know where you're coming from. And I love that part of this scripture. And then, so we see all these, we see him addressing the different groups of people based on gender and age. And he's giving these great examples of how to live, of how to live in an upright way, to go against the cultural norms, the stereotypes, and how to be God-honoring in their life. And then we're going to go into the next thing, which is also kind of awkward, too. So picking up in verse 9, we see him talking to slaves. 
or bond servants. So verse 9, it says, Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. So we see Paul addressing slaves. Sometimes in your Bible it would be called, it would be labeled bond servants. So before we really dig into this, right, I'm rolling out my sleeves, ready? Um, this, the slavery or the bond servants at the time looks vastly different than what we typically think about. The slavery of this time, the bond servants look vastly different to what we did in North America, to the African Americans. So at the time, the bond servants, during this time, it would be known that it would be voluntarily and temporary. So these people would choose to go into this servitude because they paid a debt, maybe they couldn't owe it, so they're choosing to go into this mode, and it would be temporary, it wouldn't be for life, it would be temporary. Not saying, not making it that belittling, it was still not a great situation, but it wasn't outright evil, like what we picture with slavery, when we think about what we saw in our own culture with racism and slavery, of stealing African Americans, forcing them into servitude to never leave. This is not what it's talking about. It's talking about this voluntary, temporary, bond-servant thing. It's not talking about the slavery and the racism that we will see in our world today, even. And I think it's even important that we hit very quickly just a little bit of racism. Because even in the past couple of weeks, more violence, and this past year, of all these things, and it's confusing, and I don't know all the answers with the racism stuff, and it's hard, and you have to ask honest questions and communicate. But here's what I do know. When we don't know how to combat all these issues, racism, we go to scripture. And so I found two verses that are really good at pointing against this racism that we will typically see in our world. So it'll be on the screen. James 2.1, it says, My brothers and sisters, believers of our glorious Lord Jesus, must not show favoritism. So it's talking about not treating people differently because of who they are. And he goes on to talk about economic things. I think we can apply that to racism too. To not treat people differently based on the color of their skin. In Galatians 3.26-29, through 29, says this, So in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are of Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So again, this is highlighting no matter if you're of your race, of your gender, of your economic status, you are welcome 
into the family of God. The basis of the gospel was to break barriers with this. Most of Paul's ministry was going against race. He was bringing the gospel to the Gentiles. It was only what they thought only for Jews. But Paul is ministering to the Gentiles, people who weren't Jews, and breaking these racial barriers. We see that the gospel was never supposed to be oppressive to a certain group of people. It's welcoming to all who choose to follow him, who choose to accept him as savior, who choose to follow him, to do what is right, to be disciple makers, to grow in faith, to grow in love, to grow in relationship with Jesus. That's what it is. It's not, it was never meant to be just for a certain group of people. I think that's important for us as we read this, because I think sometimes when we see when people talk directly to slaves, it can be a little scary, where we think it's condoning this slavery, this racism. But as we see, again, at the time, the bond servants, they weren't in an ideal situation. A lot of times they were characterized as stealing from their masters, as being cheats, as not being very helpful. And again, we see in Titus 2, Paul is pointing towards the bondservants to act differently, to go against the stereotype, and to honor their master, to do good work, to live a life that is upright, to not try to cheat the system, but to love and to do what is right. And as we see all these things, as we, I know we kind of got a little heavy into some of these topics, but I think it's important when we read, when we go across these. Because again, the purpose was not to identify and to separate, but we see the purpose of this passage, the purpose of why Paul is addressing these specific people is found in verses 5, 8, and 10. And I think sometimes we miss it. So let's jump over to five. So it's telling to be controlled and pure, be busy at home, to be kind, to be subject, so that no one will malign the word of God, so that no one will speak ill of the word of God. Jumping over to verse eight. And soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. In verse 10, and not to steal, not to show that they can be fully trusted, so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. So we see the purpose of Paul laying out and pointing towards these certain group of people with specific circumstances was to be a witness to the culture around them to take the stereotypes, the norms that were against what God would have wanted and turning it on their head and highlighting the gospel and being a witness for God. See, the whole purpose of this was to fight against, I think one of our biggest battles is hypocrisy. A lot of times, people who are not of the church, who are not Christians, they will look at the church and Christians, and rightly so sometimes, 
and see it's just full of hypocrites. And this, the point of this is to fight against that, to live in a way that we are good models and image bearers of Christ. And I know that's weighty, and it seems very daunting, and it's a big responsibility for those of us who have chosen to follow Christ, to be a Christian, to walk in his love, walk in the faith. Because we are his image bearers, we then are a witness to who he is, even when we're not realizing it, even when we're not on our church game. Our lives become a light. Our everything we do, even in secret, becomes a light. And those who are not of the church will look at you and point out your flaws and say, is that Christ? Is that what the church is? Oh, you can do that? Well, I'm no different than you. It doesn't really matter. And that's terrifying, as it should be. We have a responsibility as Christians to highlight the gospel and to point towards Jesus. Before we get overwhelmed with this responsibility, and it is a good responsibility, it is weighty, I want us to know that we will fail, that there will be times when our witness or our testimony will not be spotless, will not be perfect, that we will mess up, but I think one of the greatest ways that we can regain this testimony, to gain that trust back, to really walk in the faith, is know how to mess up well, to know how to fail well, know how to ask for forgiveness, to be like, you know what, I messed up, I'm human, Christians are human, we're going to mess up, and offering those ways, and offering, asking for forgiveness, asking and repenting of these things. I had to learn this recently. Um, I was in a situation, and I wasn't acting really great. And I was with one of my friends who's a non-Christian, and I, my behavior wasn't great. It wasn't Christ-filled. And I've repented about it, and I asked for forgiveness from my father, uh, Jesus, because I know I messed up. And Afterwards, after I repented of what I did and I was praying to God, I, I felt the Holy Spirit kind of probe in my heart to apologize to my friend who's a non-Christian. I felt the Holy Spirit say, like, I just felt this need to talk to this person, to be like, you know what? I messed up. I didn't act correctly and I don't want to act like that again, and I'm sorry about it, and that's not what Christ would have wanted me to do. So I called them up, and I said that, and I was really nervous because it's super awkward, and I was like, I'm sorry. I, my behavior wasn't good. That wasn't Christ-filled. I'm not going to act like that again in front of you. I'm really sorry. And they're like, and like, I think in those moments you think they're going to have this great response. Like they're going to be like, oh, you're right. I want to be a Christian now. And sometimes that could happen. But in my case, they were like, Betsy, you're crazy. I do not care. 
Like, they, like, laughed in my face. They thought it was ridiculous that I was calling and asking for forgiveness from them. They're like, you didn't do anything wrong. I don't care. And I was like, you know, I just feel like it's still important. And even if you have a conversation like that, I still feel very good about that situation, even though they really didn't understand why I was asking for forgiveness. I was able to highlight how to fail well, how to, come, how to come before someone and ask for forgiveness when we fail. And this is so important for us as Christians. I think a lot of times we want to act like we're perfect, that we don't do anything wrong, and we try to hide our sin. But I think there's a great witness and a great testimony and a great pointing light to the redeeming work of Christ when we, when we just say what we did wrong, we ask for forgiveness, and we move forward. A lot of times I trust and learn from the best when I see someone fail and fail well. When I see someone who's messed up and has come clean, I can relate to that, you know? Because we're all not perfect. So I know it sounds like there's like so much in this as Paul is giving these um, great examples of how to live and there's this great weighty responsibility to be a light, to be a witness, to highlight who Christ is. There's this great weight as it should be. Man, we should be leading into the Holy Spirit for guidance in this. This is something we can't do ourselves. But what a blessing is that we get the Holy Spirit in us. And we see right after Paul gives these things, he goes into this beautiful picture of the gospel in verse 11. Right when we need it, right when I feel like the world is like, oh man, I feel so like weighty from this. There's so much I have to do. I have to be perfect. But we don't have to be perfect because he points again to the gospel into grace. And it says in verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of God, of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. And then he talks specifically to Titus. These then are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. We see at the end, we see this perfect picture of the gospel, of salvation, of being redeemed, of even in our weakness and wickedness, we see this, this gift of salvation, this gift to lean into God when the world seems overwhelming, to come clean, to go before our Lord, to ask for forgiveness, to receive hope, to be redeemed of all wickedness. And this is like the climax of the chapter. Not all the nitty-gritty stuff that we talked about, but this, the gospel, that we can be redeemed, that we are a light, that we can be a witness to those around us in our culture and in our world, in our schools, in our houses, in our neighborhoods, over Zoom even, that we can be a witness 
So I want to ask you guys this morning, how are you living? Is your life being a light for God? Is your life pointing towards who Christ is? Are you living in a way that is highlighting the beauty of the gospel? Are you living in a way that is upright, that may be difficult, that may sometimes be awkward, that may sometimes not be popular? To point towards Christ, and are you messing up well? And if you haven't messed up well, you will. So learn how to do it beforehand. So how are you living? People are watching. You may not realize it, but people watch the church. People watch Christians. So what are you showing them about Christ? And how are you living? And in that, are you leaning towards the Holy Spirit for guidance, for wisdom, for strength? Because we can't do it alone. But man, we have the blessing of the Holy Spirit. Thanks for listening to the Green Student Ministries High School podcast of the Chapel in Green. If you have any questions or concerns, feel free to contact us at gsm at thechapel.life or follow us on Instagram at Green Student Ministries. We would love to hear from you. Thanks for listening.